Would anybody else like to pray? Feel free to step on up and battle. Redirect the spotlight over here. John chapter 1, 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And uh, Father, we just thank you today on your mercy, God, that, uh, God, that anything that we've done today, God, um, even right now, the, the storms, the sicknesses, I mean, even death, that just all these things are here. But, um, Father, none of it has, it, it doesn't stop you. It doesn't stop who you are. And sending your son Jesus to actually die for all that is dying, all for sicknesses. In you, Christ, we alone, we can find strength and grace. Uh, Father, we just pray for just uh, to unify us through uh, these, these struggles, God, to. Uh, that we would build each other up and encourage each other um, with um, thoughtful words through your word and um, also to be able to pray for each other. Uh, we thank you that you hear us and um, you're not like us to just go out and just do something. You already have done it. But Father, that you patiently, you know what to do and your will will be done over this nation, over our, our government, over our leaders. Uh, those who oppose you and those who um, want to be transformed by you. So, uh, Father, we just thank you for just uh, your righteous hand that's over um, all leadership in this church as well in this city, in this country. Uh, I just want to lift up Mike Carter that could not make it today because of his knee and uh, surgery is coming soon. We just pray for uh, um, your holy hand that's already there, God, just to... Uh, um, for your merciful healing and also God just for the strength and the peace for him to uh, uh, continue on um, we pray for those who are truly affected by uh, COVID and from COVID that's affecting others that uh, we just um, we know you're a healer but you're also the almighty you are always mighty we pray for your strength God to strengthen us to strengthen us to fight to strengthen us to find rest um, to strengthen us to uh, to draw closer to you and to uh, your love and your faithfulness. And uh, we just want to say thank you for this time. And um, not that any prayer would ever end because, Father, we need you every second of our lives. Um, we can't do this on our own. And even if we thought we were doing it on our own, it's all from you. So we just give you the glory even though you are glorious. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anybody else want to raise their hand? Anybody over here? Um, I'm going to go ahead and turn it back to Dan then. Um, let me go ahead and move this.
All right, I'd, I'd like to thank you for those who participated. I know many of you did in your seats or online as well, and I'm going to close out in prayer at this time. I'll mention a few more names of those that I know who are hurting. Uh, again, I'm asking you to verbally speak the names of anyone that you would like to see protected, anyone that you would like to see healed, um, and in governmental situations, relationship situations, things that you know, because this is our prayer time. And even while I'm still talking right now, God never, like Brother Tony Tate said, the prayer doesn't end. God is listening. God knows. And so, um, you know, we're, we're speaking um, our willingness to see him intercede. Let's pray one more, and then we'll transition to tithes and offerings and a little more worship. Father, you've heard the prayers of your people, but um, we continue. I want to call out the name of Brother Tim Mitchell. And I know that he's been on the mend. I don't know um, exactly where he's at right now because I didn't get a chance to talk to him yesterday. But I know he's been on the mend, Lord, and I just pray that it continues and that his strength returns and he's able to do all the things that he would do for you. And, Lord, I pray for uh, Sister Chris. And even though she's not officially been tested positive with COVID, she, she has it. It's a fact. And um, she can't taste. And, and that's been a burden to all those who can who are in those situations, but then she has a rough cough in her lungs. Lord, we just pray that you will clear her lungs and give her strength. And uh, while we're at it, Lord, just heal her from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet so that she can deal with the problem with her hip and um, and she has to find a way to sit to get the pain to go away sometimes. And we pray that that will always be available. But better, we pray that the pain would be gone and not come back. And we pray for... Um, Becca, who's working in a place with a ton of people who have COVID but tested negative herself, we pray that she'll be safe. And we pray for Jenny, who uh, tested positive for COVID, and she's pregnant, and at least she's the same way, Lord. And we pray that you'll protect not only those women, but those babies. And, um, Lord, we we love you, love your creation, love your children. And um, our heart aches, and our, the truth is our hearts are probably still stone compared to your heart. So we know that you are loving on us and wanting for great healing, wanting for great things to happen. And um, and so we're just praying your heart, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Father, we pray for our nation. I pray against uh, Proposal 369, that bill that would uh, enforce so many um, really unfairness is what it is uh, rather than in the interest of supposedly being fair but we're going to hear those words a lot going forward we're going to hear words like being fair compromising uh, awakening to the truth um, all these things that are um, really really about progressive liberal theology that have nothing to do with what the bible says and uh, we're just going to have to stand up boldly. And I'm not trying to become a politician. I'm certainly not running for office. I'm not advocating for any one politician over any other, Lord. But we know that you put on the throne those that you have on the throne. I'm just not quite sure that we're ready. Um, you would have to adjust us, Lord, for the, it to be the people that are going to bring about the true Antichrist teachings. Um, the people that would stand firmly against the church and the kingdom advance and that would bring about persecution of your church. Um, or we want to be ready. We want to be found strong. Um, and so please make us faithful. Uh, please make us hopeful. And we're asking you to, to intervene uh, where these types of laws are concerned, where decisions like that are being made. And, and even like in, in abortion clinics all across the U.S. where women are considering ending their pregnancy, where we pray that there will be another way and we will protect those unborn children because no one else can. And things like that. Um, Lord, please intervene. Uh, 
make the United States of America uh, a residing place for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come in us and through us and in our communities. And we pray all this uh, in Jesus' precious name because Jesus died to make it possible, because he rose again to prove it was possible, because he called on us to do so, because he answers when we pray. Um, Father, we pray for the remainder of our service. As weird as it is today, we pray for the remainder of our service that it would honor you. We pray for the tithes and offerings that are given now by being put in the offering plate. A lot of folks are giving electronically. Uh, some folks are sending a check. But we pray that every penny would glorify your holy name. And that you would multiply it to be enough to do the work that we need to do. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
quick housekeeping things. First of all, I want you to know for the young people that are in the audience, whether you're at home or in the sanctuary, that during the first point of the sermon, there's going to be a contest for kids and adults alike. So when we get to the first point, and whether it be after we get to the text, I'll let you know when we get there. Don't worry, you won't miss it as long as you're paying attention. It's going to be a contest. And the way the contest is going to work, and I'll remind you when that time comes, there's going to be a, a question, and it's kind of a tricky trivia question about this, this Bible story that we're talking about at that point in time. And if you can text me or message me the answer to that question later today after the service between 1.30 p.m. and 3 o'clock, so it's got to be by 3 o'clock. If you don't get the answer in by 3 o'clock, then you don't qualify for the contest. And then... Um, so if you get the answer by, in by 3 o'clock, then every three people that get the answer in, I'm going to draw a gift card, and it'll be like McDonald's or Walmart or maybe probably a combination of both, and then somebody will get a gift card, and it'll be every three students. So if you're eight, under 18, then you're in that category. Every three students, somebody will win a gift card, and every three adults, somebody will win a gift card. And if only one person texts in the answer, then they will win the gift card automatically. Okay? So you make sure you listen when we get to that point in time in the story. And then I think you'll probably have to go to a parent or look it up. Or you may know. I, some of our very intelligent teenagers may already know the answer right off the top of their head when the time comes. But don't you know, you're, if you're a child, you can get the answer from one of your siblings if they have the answer correct. Or your parents when the time comes. Um, if you're an adult, I expect you, some of you will know the answer. And some of you will have to look it up, and that's okay, too, either way, all right? So that's going to happen a little bit later in the sermon when we get to the first point, so that'll make it entertaining. Um, also, uh, just as a, another uh, kind of housekeeping thing for Josh, Josh, that's, that video, I do have that queued up on my laptop and we, or on my tablet, and we can try to run that video at that time, but you'll need to, when we get close to there, uh, because you have control of this meeting, you'll need to give me sharing capabilities uh, in the settings in Zoom so I can share the video. Okay, so if it all works out, it's all going to be good. Either way, we're going to the Word of God. I am going to just a real quick say a little prayer, just asking God to give me uh, clarity because uh, 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 Artie did such a fantastic job with this last week and preaching into the tablet, but this is my first experience, and so uh, just like him, I'm feeling a little bit weirded out by it. So let's just ask God for help, shall we? Father in heaven, I just praise you and thank you for being with us today. I thank you even that um, you're helping us to endure difficult times. And so um, we funny how we think things are bad and sometimes they're not as bad as we think. And so we just ask the Lord to sustain us now. And as we go to our word, I pray that in the uh, church building there, that the church uh, that was able to gather in person today is right now reaching for their Bibles or for their phone, their electronics, has their electronic Bible on it, and they're getting ready knowing that we're going to the word and that we're going to let you speak to us. And the same thing in houses. Uh, and funny thing is, our church probably hasn't done this before. And uh, in Rossford and in Northwood and a couple of places and in Toledo and, and uh, Oregon even. And, and Lord, uh, I'm grateful that right now people are reaching for their Bibles. And we're saying, hey, uh, let's let God speak. And so, Lord, it's your time. We turn it over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you, you've heard the saying, the grass is always greener. Maybe you haven't, but most people have heard the saying, the grass is always greener. And people think that the saying, the grass is always greener, means um, that, that 
what, whatever your tradition of your yard, where you are, your situation where you are, you always look, look at other people's situation and you always think their situation is better. So you look at your yard and you think, well, you know, I would like to have a bigger yard or I would have my, their yard is actually greener than my yard. That's kind of the symbolism of it. It's a, really, it's a statement about the human condition uh, and basically saying that no matter what we've got, we're a little bit discontented when we see other things that we think are better. Okay. So I want you to kind of bear that in mind then as we go to the text and our text for the day and I don't know if somebody will give me an amen. I won't hear you if you're in your your house, uh, in your pajamas still, and you want to get excited about the word of God. I'm not talking to hear Ron just going yay or Yahtzee or something, but uh, I won't hear him uh, over Zoom. But we're going to go to Psalm 3. That's Psalm 3. Amen. It's God's word. Okay, so first we're going to read the psalm and break it down, and there's a couple things I want you to see in there, and then we'll go to the points, okay? So kids, this is how we usually do it. Those of you who are following along, we usually do the text first, and we explain it and understand what it means as best we can, and then we go and kind of find a few things in there that are really important to notice, okay? So this is Psalm 3. It's not very long, right? It begins like this, and I'm reading in the New American Standard. It says, Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. And so the psalmist is talking about enemies, things, people that are against him. And in this case, the psalm is written about when David, his son Absalom, seized the throne and David had to run. And there were a lot of people that were rallying around to bring down David's kingship. And, and that, that was a bad son. He, he was not a good guy. And uh, all of a sudden, everybody everywhere, it seemed like, was against David. Now, it's not that he didn't have any allies. He did have some allies. But it seemed like the people that were against him were just really multiplying. And it's, sometimes the situation is not the people, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. In verse 2, it says, Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. This is a really cool verse. There is many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. In the Hebrew language, this verse is very few words. And it has in it, because there's a couple of words that go together, it has in it a, like a saying that they understood, even though not all the words are there. And so what this verse sort of says is that there is no, and you're going to find something interesting here. There is no Yeshua in Elohim. Okay? So Yeshua is salvation. So there is no salvation. There is no God's saving grace. And if, if you notice, there's similarities in Yeshua to the name Joshua. And you also notice similarities in Yeshua to, I think, Jesus. Right? And in the original language, they would call Jesus something very similar to Yeshua. And so what people were saying of the psalmist was that there was no salvation in Elohim. And the word Elohim kind of means God, okay? But it doesn't, it means general God or generic God, okay? So non-specific. So you almost could say this verse basically says that people were saying of the psalmist, of the guy who wrote this psalm, people were saying, there is no salvation 
in generic God. Okay? And right away we want to say, well, that's that's not true. Right? There is salvation in God. But I actually submit to you that they were kind of right, weren't they? There is no salvation in generic God. But what the psalmist was doing here was he was calling on God to prove these people wrong. The fact is that God has kind of stored up a special can of kick butt that he has reserved specifically for a special class of people. God seems to enjoy proving wrong the worldly or those who think they have ascended to some higher conclusion about the spiritual realm. If you think you know something about what's going on in the spiritual realm, when you don't, that's exactly the time that God really enjoys kind of kicking your butt. But God is going to put you in your place because you think you know something. You think you're going to tell God something. You think you're better than God, and you can just hear God saying, you think you're better than me? Well, I'll show you. And we ought not to presume to know more than has been actually given for us to know. But that's what these people were doing. The psalmist was saying, these people were saying, there is no salvation in generic God. There is no salvation. David was not going to get any help from God. That's what they were saying about David. And David's now egging God on, kind of encouraging God to step up and to defend him. Because there are people that were saying they know. They know better than God. So, verse 3, David then says, if it was David who wrote it, or somebody wrote it on his behalf, either way, it was about that situation between him and Absalom. Verse 3 says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Okay, So this is the, kind of shows that proper relationship and understanding between the psalmist and who God actually is. We're going to break it down for one second. There's something interesting in there. Did you hear it? It says, but thou, O Lord, so that's God, and that Lord there, not Elohim, it's Yehovah. It's, it's the God, the one, one God, the creator God, the sustainer God, the, the existing God, right? He says, he, that God, is a shield about me. Now, if you're a Belladarth player in the room, or if you've ever fought with a sword and a shield, or ever used a riot shield, for example, or uh, even a, a welding shield, Right? You understand that shields, by and by their nature, they don't they're necessarily around you. Right? They're they're meant to be interposed between you and the enemy. But as this shield that God is, it says that God is a shield around me. He, this shield wraps about me and protects me like a like a shield wall, like a whole bunch of shields all combined to protect me from uh, assailants coming from all sides. So there might be people coming or situations coming at you from every angle, but this shield that God is, is more than capable of blocking from every angle. So sometimes we think of a shield that just interposing between us and one enemy. God is the kind of shield that interposes himself between us and all the enemies that are about us. He says that God is that kind of shield for us. Then he says, God is my glory. Now this is an interesting word here, and almost every translation of the Bible translates it as glory. But the, the interesting thing is, um, it is kabod in the Hebrew, but it has the idea of building something up. So 
it's as if they were saying, and it wouldn't wouldn't go well in English, and that's why they say He is our glory. But it's as if God is building up some part of us, not in the way of encouraging. That's covered in a second, but building up some part of us to make us solid, so that we won't fall down. Okay, and I'll come back to that. The point is to understand it better. Um, but just know that He's saying, "You are, you are the one who builds me up so that I am solid." And the one who lifts my head. And so that's about encouragement, right? When you use the phrase lifting up somebody's head, talking about lifting encouragement. I remember playing sports, for example, you walk off the field and you've lost the game and you see everybody's kind of hanging their heads. And then the coach comes and he says, don't, don't hang your heads. You gave a heroic effort. You really did a good job and you played well and you represented the team well. So you should be able to hold your head up high. And that's what this is talking about. God is the one who lifts our heads. Verse Four, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. And then there's a little Selah there, and there was one back at the end of verse 2 also. Um, I was crying to the Lord with my voice. Again, talking about the proper relationship that a person who's trusting in God has. In the midst of difficulty, surrounded by all their enemies, they are crying out to God. And God hears from heaven... God hears from his mighty throne. God hears from his place of ruling. And he intercedes. He answers those prayers. And the Selah, we don't really actually know what those terms mean. And I'll just mention one here so that you understand. But really, they kind of mean like emphasis or a pause for thought. So we could go, Selah. Stop and think about that for a moment. That God answers from his holy mountain. Or, if you're a musician, for example, you could say that that was a moment of crescendo, crescendo followed by a moment of silence. So it would go like this. And he answered me from his holy mountain. And the, the words holy mountain ring for a moment, and they drive home that point that God is holy and righteous, yet he is merciful and kind to hear us, that he is all authority and in charge and in power, Yet he is willing to interact with us and intercede on our behalf. Verse 5 says, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. And so then we see God pictured as our sustainer. He is the one who keeps us alive. He provides us what we need. He does for us what must be done so that we can continue. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about, surrounded by armies of ten thousands of people. We have no business being afraid because God is protecting us as that shield that completely wraps around us. Verse 7, and only two to go. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God. So this is the psalmist again entreating God to act on his behalf, and that's what we should be doing. For thou hast smitten all my enemies on the cheek. So that, that term smitten means when you smack something hard. So God has smitten all my enemies on the cheek. And I'll explain that a little bit better in the points too. But notice it also says, thou hast shattered the teeth of the wicked. So God has smitten the enemies on the cheek and shattered the teeth of the wicked. Verse 8. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now that's just the opposite of what we read back in verse 2. He is saying, Yeshua, salvation belongs, but guess what? He doesn't say Elohim. He says, Yahweh. He says, the God who is. Salvation belongs to the God who is. The creator God, the sustainer God, the original God. Salvation belongs to the God who is. And then it finish, finishes with, thy blessing be upon thy people. And the important part here is about ownership. It's God's blessing, thy blessing, be upon thy people. They're God's people. All right, so we've broken down the text, and we're getting ready to move into the points, which means pay attention because we're coming up to that contest here in just a moment. All right, the first point I think that is absolutely essential for us to see in here is that God by no means would ever say that there aren't any more enemies. Enemies remain. In our day, we have a simplified list. Our enemies essentially include Satan, who is the devil, and whatever all of this history may be, he hates God, he is rebellious against God, he is a deceiver, he is an accuser. The Greek word that we that we then transliterate into English as Satan, the Greek word is actually Satan. It looks almost the same. And Satan means accuser. And he will accuse you, and he will accuse God. So he will, to you, he will accuse God. He will tell you how bad God is, how how there is no salvation in Yahweh. But there is. But he'll tell you there isn't. He'll also accuse you to God. He'll tell God, see how bad he is? That's what he did about Job. He told God how Job only served God because he was getting so many things from God. So he is an accuser. He is a deceiver. He is the father of all lies. And he will lie to you. And he will lie to others. And he is in the world teaching the world how to lie constantly. Then there are evil spirits. They're like Satan, but kind of less. They may bring about emotions, or they may foster lies in your head, put thoughts in your brain, trick you, uh, lead you to lust or to tempt. They're evil spirits, and they are our enemies, and they are numerous. Then there's the world system. The world system goes right against what God teaches and what God believes what God calls us to believe, even. And so the world would lead us to go a direction that we ought not to go. And it is cunning, the system is cunning, because, frankly, you need food, you need clothing, you need a place to live, you need gainful employment. And so in pursuit of those things, people get wrapped up in the cares of the world and they lose sight of what is really important. Satan, evil spirits, the world system. And then or self, or our flesh. As long as you are a human, you deal with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's not gone. Those enemies continue to exist. And they will come after us. They will distract us. They will attack us. Uh, they will cause us to take hits. These enemies are real. But I want you to understand that these enemies have a condition. The psalmist understood that these enemies have a condition. Well, what is it? Well, God has smacked them across the face. 
the imagery of being smacked across the face arises out of arrogance. These enemies are arrogant to think that they can stand up against God. And so God has smacked them in the face. Then on top of that, he's broken out their teeth. That's a very painful experience for anybody, but for Satan, for evil spirits, the world system, and, this, and self and flesh, he's broken out their teeth. So now they're not only trying to deceive you to get you to do the wrong thing, but on top of that, they are trying to deceive you to believe that they still could have some effect on you. They still want you to believe that you are somehow susceptible to their tender ministry. All right. So here is the story that I want you to hear and to understand. Okay? And the story comes up out of Daniel chapter 3. And we're getting really close to that moment. So if the kids are listening, this is where you need to be paying attention. You're going to come up to that moment. Because it would be easy enough to not fully understand the question. And I'm not going to be able to explain it too many times. So you've got to pay attention. Okay? All right. So in Daniel, there's a story about three men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And most of us, even the kids, probably heard this story. And in that story, we come to a moment in time in which they're about to be cast into a fiery furnace. Okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be cast into a fiery furnace. In the story, there are a few key things involved. There is a king. There are three men who are faithful to God. They are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's a thing called a sackbut, which is a funny name. And there's a fiery furnace and some guards, and their job, the guards' job, is to throw the three men into the fiery furnace. Just as God might preserve them or might not, the king comes to the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, One last chance before you're thrown into the fiery furnace, will you bow to the golden statue that I have created? Will you pay homage? This is what they say. They say, our God is able to save us from the fiery furnace. But even if he does not save us from the fiery furnace, we will not bow to your false gods or to you, to worship. We will worship only God. That's what they say to him. And in Daniel chapter 3, it then says that the face of the king changed. His visage, his face changed, and he got so angry that he was wont to have the furnace heated seven times harder than the furnace was able or want to be heated. And then the men threw Daniel, I'm sorry, threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace where they would be destroyed. Except they weren't destroyed. God did preserve them. But the guards who threw them into the furnace were destroyed. But what I want you to see in there is how the enemy of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded when they said, We will not worship your false gods. We will not bow down. His face changed. David wrote in Psalm 3, We just read about it. And now you understand what happened in that moment was that king, having all the power that he had to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, was smacked in the face. He wasn't smacked in the face because there was the possibility that God might save them. He wasn't smacked in the face because God did save them. 
which is what eventually happens. But he was smacked in the face before that. He was smacked in the face because the people of God who were in the kingdom of God, who were claimed by God, could say, no, I will not bow to your false gods. And at that moment, that king knew he could not control those men. He was smacked in the face. I submit to you, his teeth were broken out because when they were thrown in the fiery furnace, his guards were slain, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were spared. They were in no real danger. He was smacked in the face, and his teeth were broken out, and so is Satan, and so are evil spirits, and so is the world system, and so is our flesh. Now for the contest. You remember I said that there were main characters, main things in the story. One of those things was a sack butt. Okay? And so if you're listening now, adult or children like anybody, it doesn't matter if you're listening, and this afternoon after service is over, but before 3 o'clock, if you text or message me, most of the kids have me on Facebook Messenger, or uh, you can message, the, if, you're, if you're somebody who came from outside and you're listening to this uh, because you got the Zoom address from Facebook, then you can message the Facebook page uh, for the Life Station or New Heights before 3 o'clock today with the answer to what was the role of the sack butt in the story. So it ought to tell me what a sack butt is, and it ought to tell me what role it played in the story that we, in Daniel chapter 3. So you can go read in Daniel chapter 3, or you can ask your parents, or you and your parents can read it if you're a kid, or if you're an adult and you already know, then you know what you have to do. If you are... Uh, if you need to, you can text me. This is my personal cell phone number. I'm not going to say it. Okay? You can text me your answer at this cell phone number right here. And the question was, what was the role that the sack butt played in the story? Okay? Going once. All right? That's my personal cell phone number. What was the role that the sack butt played in the story. Going once, going twice, going three times. If you didn't get it, my cell phone number is on the church website. So if you need it, uh, most I think everybody would have it. All right. So point number one, enemies will remain, but notice that in the song we read that while those enemies remain, they have been smacked in the face and their teeth has been broken out. And let me tell you, they are not happy about that. No one would be. And so they want to come after us but the second point is very important then, and that is that God is our shield. Not only our shield, he is our shield, our glory, he is our encourager and our sustainer. So knowing that we have enemies and they want to come after us, God is our shield. And notice it said that our shield wraps all the way around us. So like a shield wall, we are protected from all directions, all enemies. Right? Secondly, then, God is our glory. I'm going to come back to that one in a second because I have a little video, which I think also the kids will like, and I think everybody's going to enjoy it. I'm hoping I'll be able to play the video. This will give Josh an opportunity right now, if he hasn't done so already, to share the ability for me to share my screen in a moment. Okay? So the video is coming, I hope. But note, we'll go to the other two, and that is encourager. God is our encourager. When you are down and out, it ought to encourage you to know that God is for you. I know that some days are harder than others, but on the days that are hard, we're encouraged to remember, Ecclesiastes 7, that God made those days too. 
And God made difficult times sometimes so that God can encourage you. And then he lifts you up. You can sleep and rest and rise again because God is your encourager. When there's no person to encourage you, there's God to encourage you. And he's our sustainer. He provides us with everything. So before you think you have nothing, you have air, you have food, you have clothing. If you're somebody who does not have food and clothing, we have ministry for you. We will help you have food and clothing. But you should have food and clothing. And you have a church family. And you have a message from the Lord today. You have God's word given to you by God. He is our shield. He is our encourager. He is our sustainer. And God is our glory. And I want to say it this way. That uh, and it's a funny translation, but God is our fat bottom. That's what He is. God is our fat bottom. Okay, and so I want to show you real quick a little video. And so, God willing, I'm able to share my screen. I'm trying. In the service, a video here played about weeble wobble toys and it was basically able to be seen and maybe basically able to be heard so you can check it out online on YouTube just YouTube uh, search Weeble Wobbles video all right so I'm seeing it so you should be seeing it it's playing
That's your fat bottom. That's you knowing that God has made you special. And because you know that God has made you special and he's poured his resources into you, you have a fat bottom. And so when difficulty comes, you don't automatically tip over. You wobble, but you don't fall down. And that's what we're saying here. The enemy can come if he wants, but God is our shield and our protector. And, and this is kind of how he's our shield and our protector. This is our proper relationship with him. He is our shield. He's all around us. He is our glory. He's our fat bottom. He's got us stable, taken care of. We're okay. And then he is our sustainer and our encourager all at the same time. Oh, what a mess people are in without God. But the saddest part is yet to come. And that is that this verse explains that there is a third party that would falsely assess our condition. And to yield to believing their lies would only prove our unfaithfulness. Approaching the brink of disaster, the closer to the brink we come, the more adversity we face, the more thousands of people you see or thousands of situations or thousands of problems you see rallying around you, the simpler you must believe. Sometimes we have to dumb it down. We've got folks out there that are making Christianity and following Jesus about you have to dress a certain way or act a certain way or behave a certain way or be a certain place or do a certain thing. And, the, and when adversity comes and when it really comes down to it, Get basic. God is your shield. God is your encourager. God is your sustainer, and he's your fat bottom. And he alone. God is still God. And if we know God, then we know this traits about him. God is this God. God is this one real God. But, notice that those people, that third party, they're actually right, unless you understand how they're wrong. What did they say? They said, there is no Yeshua, there is no salvation in Elohim, in generic God. Well, they're actually right. But you have to understand that they mean generic God. If you just read there was no salvation in God, there is no help in God, and you took that for face value, you would be accepting their lies. So they are right unless we understand how they're wrong. That brings us to our conclusion then. It's, it's a little lengthy, but stick with me, okay? The grass is always greener. Remember that? Its interpretation seems to, to entreat us to be satisfied where we are. Stop. Stop looking at the neighbor's grass or their car or their wife or their house or whatever and thinking, oh, they got it so much better. Stop looking at somebody else's faith and start and saying their faith is better than my faith. Stop looking at somebody else's job and saying their job is better than my job. That's what it seems to be saying, that we ought to be grateful for what we have, to settle even for what we have. But God's word is asking more from us. God is asking us to strive to know as an enemy already defeated those enemies who are held at bay. 
you have to know that Satan is your enemy. You understand he's already defeated. You have to know that he's your enemy. And you have to know that the world system is your enemy. He's already defeated, but the world system is still our enemy. Already defeated ourself, our flesh, but still our enemy. We have to know our enemies and how they are held at bay and that they are already defeated. But also realize that they still have in their clutches, those same enemies still have in their clutches, those that God is calling unto himself. If you dismiss the enemy, you're wrong. But if you give the enemy place to have control or distraction or temptation, you're also wrong. It remains true that sometimes our shield is more like a bomb shelter. And we have no concept, or at least we struggle to have a concept of what it's like to live outside the shield. Though it may have been only days ago that we found peace with God, when the old us died and we were made new, we lost some understanding of our desperate need. With the healing of the great wound that was within us came a certain and growing lack of understanding of just how wounded and empty we were. We forget how we believed erroneous, erroneously that we were okay. We used to think we were okay. Then we realized we weren't okay and we got saved. And we forget that we used to think that we were okay. Or how we hoped beyond hope that we would someday be okay. Or we stumbled onward in absolute certainty that we were not okay, we would never be okay, and that no one else was okay either. But when we met Jesus, we learned that these lies were just that, lies. All of these needs that we had, they were to lead us to the one who loves us so, and so that we could see that he had already been working to bring us to himself. Then the shield came up, and we were safe, and the sense of urgency waned. Maybe it only ebbed long enough for us to realize our own need to move us toward him, and then safe behind the wall, we were asked to join the kingdom fight, the troop of witnesses, to live a purposeful life for God, but we got busy. Even busy doing the things that the church does together and amongst itself, not the things that the world needs to come to God. There are so many ways to abandon the protection of God. The shield wall that God has put around us, there are so many ways to abandon that protection. Even in these verses here, without going anywhere else in the Bible, it talks about fearing those enemies. He says, I do not fear 10,000 enemies gathered around me. The psalmist is telling you, can't fear those enemies. If you fear the enemies that God has already defeated that are outside the shield, then you are essentially abandoning the protections of God. Also in these verses, shows us that you could believe the lie that there is no help, no salvation to be found in God. You can begin to think, well, I, I'm not going to be saved. I'm not going to be protected. I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to make it through. Because the world has very pervasive and very persuasive teachings. You can begin to trust in your own strength. Hear me now. There is no safety of your design behind the shield wall. Adults in the room, I want you to hear me very carefully when I say... If you feel safe, 
you probably aren't. You hear me? If you feel safe, you probably aren't. If you faith safe, on the other hand, you just might be. Look for self-sustenance elsewhere, and you will find no real sustenance at all, because salvation belongs to the Lord. God's blessing will be upon God's people. Glorifying yourself. Try to build for yourself your own fat bottom. It doesn't work. You're not going to be good enough. You're not going to be complete enough. And when the storm comes, you will have built your fat bottom, your foundation on the sand rather than on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, there is becoming one of the ungodly, doing something that God would flat out say is wrong. Notice that this is more than sticking out from behind the shield wall. Because here it says God will smack you in the face and break your teeth. You don't want to become ungodly. But we are called to relish our position, to strive to know him more, to ally with his purposes, to remain in his favored people, and to receive with gratitude his welcome intervention. He is not just a God. God is not generic God. You must come to know him if you have not already, and you must always know him as the one and only God who first and foremost is. If people ever ask you to describe God in one word, don't say God. Don't say Elohim, generic God. Don't say Yahweh, creator God. He's all of those things except possibly Elohim. But if God, if people ever ask you to use just one word to describe, use this word, use is. Because he is the God that is. That's what he said. First and foremost, he is. And then we want to know what is he like. Well, if you know him, then you already know he is your shield. He is your fat bottom. He is able to keep you stable. He is your encouragement to keep you going. He is your sustainer to let you sleep and rise again. And of course, he is your salvation to the exclusion of all other methods and possibilities. And David said it this way, and I'm reading from 1 Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 24. I'm not going to let you time to go there and flip there necessarily, but I'm just going to read it. 1 Chronicles 16, 24, it says, Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also though, is to be feared above all gods. And I guess you know that what that word is right there. I'll bet you do. That word is Elohim. He is to be feared above all generic gods. For all the generic gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. A scribe, that means give him credit or credit the Lord with. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Listen. 
bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Commit yourself today. This is me speaking. This is God, I hope, speaking through me. Come, your, Commit yourself today to tell of his mighty works, to trust in him alone for your safety, to ignore the naysayers, to invest your offerings, your time, your labor, and yourself in the church and kingdom pursuits. Remember your fallen enemies and those that exist outside the shield that is our God. And don't be fooled into a half-hearted faith by the comfort of your God provided safety. Let me say that last one again because it's huge. Remember your fallen enemies and those that exist outside the shield that is our God. And don't be fooled into a half-hearted faith by the comfort of your God-provided safety. You were out there. And if you have Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are now in here. And here is a place of purpose. So let's get purposeful. And again, David said it this way. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. As we sing a closing hymn today, Sister Carrie uh, has been very diligent and very available during this time as a number of our praise team have not been available due to positive testing and symptoms and so on. She's going to come and as we sing a closing hymn today, if you realize the Lord has called on you to make a public decision or to tell of some way he is moving in your heart today, then you respond. And Brother Tony Brister will recognize you there. And you will speak up and you will say, this is what God is saying to me. This is what God is calling me to do. And Brother Tony will guide the conversation there. Know that our God is your fat bottom. He is your encourager. He is your sustainer. He is your shield. Do not step outside the shield wall that is our God. But also do not grow complacent inside the shield wall. For there are those who are outside who are in the place where we were. And I think God wanted to remind us how easily we forget how badly we needed him. And they need him just as badly. God help us today. If you spoke into your heart, you make your decision public. Whatever it might be. Brother Tony, you're going to take over at this time so they can have an in-person representative there, counselor to pray. God bless you all. Lord willing, I intend to be there in person next week. You are beautiful beyond description to marvelous.
He's asking Lord to watch over us as we leave this place, keep us safe. Uh, thank you for blessing us so much, and uh, continue to do what you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to leave this up for a few more minutes. If anybody wants to talk today, anybody online, maybe you haven't seen somebody in a while. I'm going to go ahead and unmute this too. Mm-hmm.